Welcome to Talking Giants Player Profiles and Projections. I'm your host, Bobby Skinner, here with my co-host, Justin Pennick. And today we're looking at Ben Bredesen, who's six foot five, 315 pounds, 25 years old. A 25-year-old left guard, center, or right guard, question mark? In the final year of his rookie contract after the Ravens drafted him with a fourth-round pick, they traded him to the Giants for a 2022 fourth-round pick while the Giants got back a fifth and a 2023 seventh. Really struggled that first year with the Giants in 2021 and got injured a bunch of times. Started 2022 with the third string and was the Giants' best interior offensive lineman by the start of the season, but battled with injuries. Justin, I think Ben Bredesen is in like the weirdest position on the Giants team. Where if he was drafted with the 67th pick in last year's draft or given the contract Mark Lewinsky gotten, he would undoubtedly be a starter. But right now he is moving between three different positions. He's in an interesting position because, like you said, not a Joe Shane originated guy, but he's in the position that is he the best interior offensive lineman on the team right now? Like right now, JMS, hopefully by the end of the season will be, but... Right now, JMS hasn't played an NFL game. Is Ben Bredesen the best interior offensive lineman on the team? Yeah, let's just eliminate JMS because we haven't seen him play in the NFL game. But he, yes, he is. Yes. And JMS doesn't play the same position as him, which is guard. So it doesn't even really matter. Like I said, if he was, if his name was Mark Lewinsky or Josh Azudu, he would be, like, there would not be this rotation that they are working through. He would be a clear-cut starter. I mean, I, and I'll go through it by numbers and like the numbers match the eye test, right? And we can compare these numbers to like other guys on the team. Like last year, in pass blocking efficiency, which measures, you know, sacks, hits, and pressures per pass blocking snap, was the 17th best in the NFL for guards. You want to know who he was tied with? Who was he tied with? Kevin Zeitler. Ah. Old last friend. year he gave last year he gave up two hits and nine pressures with no sacks. The year before. Uh, he gave up two sacks, two hits, and and ten pressures. Uh, so you know, fourteen total to nine last year on one hundred thirty-two uh, more pass blocking snaps. And just comparison, Azudu gave up three, four, and eight on less than half the snaps that Ben Bredesen got. Like Ben Bredesen, there was a bad thing that happened once every thirty-six snaps, and that's not that's no sacks. Gowinski, it was once every eighteen snaps. So. He is very clearly the best pass blocker on this team. And you can make the argument for Gawinski as a run blocker, but it's not like run. Mark Gawinski is just able to do some ath- more athletic stuff in the run game. It's not like Mark Gawinski's moving earth in the run game. And like, it, it's just clear when you look at the numbers and the eye test, those got him and Azudu and Gawinski are bottom of the league in pass blocking. Bredesen's top is, is at least top of the Giants. Yeah, top of the Giants, I think, is the better way to put that because, like, in my mind, I view Ben Bredesen as a jack-of-all-trades but master of none where I think he's good, and I do think he is a starting-level guard in the NFL, and even his role where, like, I I want Josh Azuda to take over the left guard job at some point this year just because I view his ceiling as higher than Ben Bredesen's, and I know you agree with that, but... That's how I view Ben Bredesen, jack of all trades, master of none. And I think an underrated coincidence, or maybe not, Bobby Skinner, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. The Giants offense taking a step back after that Jaguars game. It was the Jaguars game where we went, where we won, and the offense had a really good day. And then the Seahawks game, and then it goes into the games of like the Texans game, and all those games where we kind of we kind of went downhill a little bit. 
Ben Bredesen missed those next six games after that Jaguars game, returned for the Washington Sunday night football game. Bredesen was among like half the roster who missed time last year with an MCL sprain. Um, We've talked over and over about Daniel Bellinger going in and out of the offense uh, and how that impacted efficiency. The emergence of Isaiah Hodgins also really helped uh, put a spark into the pass game. But we never really tied it to Ben Bredesen being in and out of the lineup. What do you think about that? I don't put too much correlation in that. Now, obviously, Bredesen helps you do more drop-back passing, and they were rotating him with Nick Gates at the end of the year. But it that those issues were more of like defenses that kind of figured out what the Giants were doing offensively more so, and you didn't have the two-way tight end and Ben Bredesen. So I'm Daniel sure that, hey, losing Ben Bredesen obviously had some negative impact, but I don't think it's – I'm not – correlating him being on the lineup to Giants offensive issues yeah. either though. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting that, you know, we talked about Isaiah Hodgins coming in, we talked about Daniel Bellinger going down and then coming back, and then the Giants offense started to do better. And also in that same time span, Ben Bredesen was also out for the Giants and then he came back. But we'll get back to talking about him as a pass blocker. I think he's aggressive in pass sets, Bobby, uh, I, I remember there was a clip of the you clipped up of him going up against the Washington interior defense alignment in Washington. And I think if you can do a solid job against those guys and not get embarrassed against those guys and, you know, bring the party, bring the pop and really bring his hands to those interior defense alignment that are powerful in their own right. Um, I think you're doing something right. Yeah. So like as far as like film wise, like he sets to the full man very well where he gets that head to head relationship with the defense alignment and he he jumps these guys like he's not giving these guys space to work with. But he all while he does that, like his hand usage has really improved from where it was the first two years of his career or, or just really as a second. He didn't play much as a rookie besides like a jumbo tight end in Baltimore. Like, he uses good independent hands. Like, he knows when to punch, when to pull a hand, when to use one hand. And he's just got good foot mirror with that, despite not having the fastest feet in the world. So, like, you you do the, hey, he's, he's setting towards these guys, jump setting them with good hand usage and foot mirror. It leads to solid pass blocking. Like, this can, again... We're talking about him in, like, the context of being on the New York Giants. Like, is Bredesen, you know, some great pass blocker in the NFL? No. But for a, a league that is struggling for to find competent offense alignment, like struggling, man, Bredesen is one where like he's good enough to play in the NFL and good enough to start, and especially on the New York Giants. Like, there to me, there's no excuse for him not to start. Again, I will say this: if he was drafted last year with the 67th pick, or given the three-year, 18 million dollar contract that Mark Winsky got. There's no way in hell this guy's not starting in a full-time role. There's no way in hell. Yeah, it's simply I agree. those guys have bigger investments in them from this regime. I want to talk about the rotation, but maybe we'll get to that at the end. But let's move to the run game. And I talked about kind of just Ben Bredesen out of the lineup and the Giants passing offense looking better, and then Ben Bredesen being back in the lineup, and then it kind of gets better. I want to talk about the run game because I actually there's like clearer numbers on Ben Bredesen when he's out of the game uh, when or excuse me, at least when he's not active, when Ben Bredesen is not active in games, Saquon Barkley averaged 3.31 yards per carry when Ben in the games that Ben Bredesen was active last year, Saquon Barkley averaged slightly over five yards per carry. Um, and it's another question of correlation versus causation there. But I will say. At least in the run blocking department, I think 
Ben Bredesen's presence did help Saquon Barkley and did help this running game in that regard. Because that's a I think he benefits difference. a lot. I think he benefits a lot playing next to Andrew Thomas. Like he works combo blocks really well, but when you're playing next to Thomas, it's a lot easier to work some of those combos. So like he doesn't have this great athleticism where you put him out in space like the you know Josh Zudu or Mark Lewinsky does. He's not a plotter either. But what he does well is he plays he keeps square and doesn't lose blocks. But he's he's not pushing guys like crazy unless he's doing a combo block. But he does a good job of staying square, like you know not losing uh, having bad posture and not being disengaged can consistently. Anything else on the run game? Because now I guess we can we can talk about the the rotation. Yeah, let's do it. I think the Giants are going to do some funky stuff. And Dan Dan Duggan and you looked at me like I had five heads when I first brought this up. I do think I do think we are going to see both left guard and right guard being rotated this year, and I think Ben Bredesen is going to be the guy that they are going to rotate guys with. It's just something I will not agree with. Mike Kafka even said in a press conference, like, you, ideally you want to find your best five. You're trying to find your best five. You're telling me you can't, like, they can't, they just can't evaluate and find their best five? They can't, they can't, they're just having such a hard time. This is such an equal race that they can't find their best five. <laughs> a team that's trying to win games is going to willingly put someone they think is a lesser player on the field for what? I don't know. It is crazy how the rotation of offensive linemen does not happen in the NFL unless you're the New York freaking Giants with two different coaching staffs now. It's like Bill Belichick did it in like 2013. It hasn't been, happened since then. And now the Giants have done it with two straight coaching staffs. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder at the end of the day, I, I wonder who's making those decisions. Dable's never really going to clarify and exactly why they do it, so it's not even worth asking. But I think Ben Bredesen is he's going to be the guy that will be going in at left guard and in at right guard. And you know, at the end of the day, you know, if there's if there's somebody who's missing reps out of this equation and who's missing plays and sitting on the bench. I hope out of the three guards that we have, I hope that Ben Bredesen is playing the most out of them. And even if he's alternating positions, which isn't, which we disagree with, I hope he's playing the most snaps out of all three of them. If if that is something that they want to do. Yeah, I mean, I I don't have a problem if Gowinski starts and Bredesen starts and Azudu doesn't. We're we have an Azudu player profile coming out next week, which we'll talk about. But I think it's okay that sometimes it takes till year three for guards to figure it out. I think that's okay. It's not the worst thing in the world. And you don't have to force that. So, but to me, there's no excuse for this guy to not start. Ben Bredesen figured it out in year three. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A lot of guys do, and yeah. rookie guards like almost exclusively struggle. At least last draft class did. All right, Justin, why don't you talk to us about Manscaped? I'll talk to you about Manscaped. Something that we also didn't talk about with Ben Bredesen too is that every single year he's gotten hurt and he's missed games. Which, you know, hey, you don't want to plan for injury, but Ben Bredesen is like one of those. He he's like so he's different injuries too. He's trending into the Sterling Shepard conversation of I'm kind of banking on you missing some games, which sucks. Ben Bredesen in a contact. Oh, Ben Bredesen contract year. Is he back next year? No. No. Because I, I think if he's injured, again, they look other ways to add different players, whether it's another vet to replace Kowinski and move with, forward with Azudu. If I think he plays a full season enough, they're not going to want to pay him the money that he might get. Wow. I think he's back. I hope he's we'll back see. because depth is extremely, extremely important, especially if Josh yeah, Zudu, me too. 
especially if Josh Azudu is a big question mark still at the end of this year, which hopefully he's not. The, I know this is totally off topic, but it, I got brought up because I was I was actually watching some Nick Gates fresh Dalvin Thomas film the other day. Uh, if we were in like a really healthy cap situation and say Nick Gates was on this team, would you pay him that contract to be a backup? Four and a half mil, like four and a half to five and a half mil per year. Are you talking about Bredesen? Nick Gates, or yeah, or Ben Bredesen. Would you get? Would you pay him like four and a half, five mil to be not a a clear starter? Because I think I would. To be that Swiss Army knife of going from center to guard, yeah. To like to be a backup and to be that Swiss Army knife to go from you can play three different positions on the line, and if anybody goes down, you feel fine. I I may think it's worth it. Let's say you move from Gowinski, Azudu moves into a full-time starter role, and you draft a guard again in the high third round. I would give Bredesen that three-year deal where he can start, and eventually maybe that other guy can move ahead of him. But All right, Justin, talk to us about Manscaped. I'll talk to you about Manscaped. Today's show is brought to you by Manscaped, the PPPs. Are we wrapping up the third week, the fourth week of PPPs? Where are we at right now? I believe this is the fourth week we're finishing up. And we're finishing up the fourth week in the Manscaped. They have the Platinum Package 4.0. It's the one-stop shop for the man who deserves it all. The package is designed to allow you to fully align your entire hygiene routine from hair, from your face, from your body with the body shampoo, two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. They have body wash, too. Um, And then also, they literally go down, as we know, to your balls and they help you take care of that the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer uh, include your face not just your beard but also they have the weed whacker ear nose hair trimmer the platinum package 4.0 covers all the bases from head to toe and hair to ball fro get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code giants at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use promo code giants use the platinum package because the gold standard is no longer good enough bobby skinner you'll be glad you did be glad you did Come on, pay attention in there. Let's go. We got a beautiful day. Work. Play fast. Play fast. Whoa. Ah. Next on the list, Darnay Holmes, 5'10", 195-pound nickel cornerback at 25 years old, was a 2024th round pick out of UCLA, and has been a starter for three straight seasons, which usually means success. But Justin Darnay just didn't fit well in the Wink Martindale man scheme. Last year, he gave up 65% of his passes, 456 yards, a touchdown, zero interceptions. So not not horrible stuff, but 30 yards per game allowed. But where he did have really bad no, He had nine penalties last year, many of them on third down. Was one off of the lead league of 10, who, by the way, was Amani Rory. Um, and he had the 11th highest targets per coverage snap rate. Like, he was kind of the target, especially on third down against for this Giants defense last year that liked to play man coverage. Like, that is why... We like there's a very negative feeling about Daniel Holmes right now is because when teams were in third down, he was their target. He was the guy they were looking to go. That's the guy that's the easiest to beat in man coverage. And it did happen a lot, Justin. I still do consider Darnay Holmes a successful draft pick. And I think he has been the player from the Gettleman era that has suffered the most from transitioning into Wings defense. The numbers back that up big time. The numbers back that up big time. If Patrick Graham was still the defensive coordinator, we wouldn't have as neck. We we're not saying he's a world beater or anything in the zone scheme, but he has a knack of keeping things in front of him and not giving up big plays, which fits well in those zone schemes. I I want to show you his zone and man numbers last year. Last year on the Wink Martindale defense, not even playing for Patrick Graham, 
In zone coverage, he gave up 76% of his passes, which is high, but that happens with zone corners and the nickel. 121 yards, though. 4.8 yards per attempt. 6.4 yards per catch and a 2.4 yards average depth of target. As far as yards per catch, Justin, in zone coverage, he was first out of 86 corners that qualified last year. Number one. He had the least amount of yards per catch allowed in zone coverage last year. But in man coverage, he gave up 59% of his passes, but 288 yards, 9 yards per attempt, 15 yards per catch, a 13.7 yards average depth of target, and was 61st out of the 86 in yards per catch. So he was just two totally different players. I've never seen a guy who's so much different at the corner position between man and zone coverage. But it's just two different players, and that's why I said at the top, you would say three years of starting has to be success, but he's just not really a fit in this Wink Martindale scheme, despite that he's probably going to get a lot of reps again this season. Yeah. And, like, I agree with you saying that it's like the – He's not a success in the in the Wink Martindale system, but I still view like the draft pick as as successful. And I and I and I know Darnay Holmes right now is getting a lot of shit, and we've given a lot of like we've given Darnay Holmes and rightfully so. He's a been lot of bad, shit. but you know at the same time, he's not as bad as like Tevin Wade. He's not as bad as like Grant Haley, who like those guys just like tanked games and they tanked entire defenses. Now Darnay Holmes, there were times last year where. It, it, it certainly was I mean, an he effort. He almost lost the Titans game. It was an they effort. They make the field to, goal. We're talking about Darnay Holmes lost the game. It was an effort to certainly try at times, especially with those penalties, but I just can't ignore that he is put in a really, really bad situation. And there was a point in his career where he was put in a good situation. And, you know, you even talked about, you know, um, you know, just not allowing a t- you know, not allowing some explosive plays. Seven games where his longest catch allowed was over 20 yards, which is not great. And in the final nine games of the season, six there were six games where Holmes allowed at least 45 or more receiving yards. So, Yeah, um, nine of the 15 games he had over 45 yards allowed. And that Second came, most on the team to Fabian Moreau. And that came in like the second half of the season where, you know, where he was getting targeted more and more and where you were hoping that maybe the Giants would adjust, but they, they just couldn't. They just couldn't. And I think, you know, what we're seeing in camp right now with the certain corner alignment with the two rookies on the outside and Adoree Jackson in the slot, I think that's... Not necessarily a reflection on that's what they want to do, but I think that's a reflection on just the options the Giants have at slot corner and Darnay Holmes being one of them. Yeah, like in man coverage, he just loses at the stem, you know, playing from that trail technique, and he just simply doesn't have the length to recover to get into the catch space. So he's just not good in that trail. But again, like he fits in his own scheme. Like he just has a knack, like I said, of keeping things in front of him and not giving good big plays. Like, you know, he's, he's middle of the pack with snacks, uh, per, snaps per reception for slot cornerbacks. Like 16 nickel cornerbacks gave up more yards than him last year, which was surprising to see because for a guy who played essentially the whole season besides that one Zion Gilbert game, when what was Darnay missing for? Was it having a kid or something? I can't even remember in that Washington game. It's just he doesn't really make any plays in this scheme. The uh... – the pass interference that wasn't pass interference Sunday Night Football to end the game against Washington um, in Washington was was fun. Won us the game. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. It's like he was second most in penalties and probably like one of his more egregious ones didn't get called. Yeah. At least the one that people remember the most. But like I said, he just he just loses at the stem of the route and man coverage. And it, I guess he doesn't have the length. Like that's that's and that's why he's targeted on third down. Because like, yeah. hey, we know we're getting this man coverage. That's who we're gonna go at. 
And that's why he's had a lot of completions allowed on third down and, you know, a lot of penalties on third down. Yeah. And being asked and, to play in man coverage, too. Like, is it his, in just in general, you talked about his average up to target. His average up to target, like, really exceeded his previous career numbers and, his, and where he was around. And that's just because. Scheme that he's being asked to play in, uh, I believe it was it was 9.0 versus 2021. It was 7.7, and then 2020 it was five it was 5.1. So, being asked to yeah. do more and the dude just it just doesn't. I I feel it's like people trash on him, and I feel bad just because it's not it's not who he is. That's not the type of player that that he is. And and I still feel like even within him not fitting the scheme well, it like I said, it's not a disaster, but it's still pretty bad. I know I hate that we're doing this on a player profile episode, but Joe Shane the other day talked about how like we're 25th in the waiver order, so we're looking at like maybe making swaps with players and stuff. Do you think Darnay is, is the conversation at any of that? Like, you know, to call on teams that like to run zone schemes and stuff yeah. and like, hey, we'll we'll swap Darnay for this. Like kind of like the Giants did with Isaac Yadam for Josh Jackson a couple of years ago. Yeah, or even like uh, this is, you know, B.J. Hill was a lot more talented, but even like a B.J. Hill for a Billy Price situation, you know, just get uh, ship out Darnay Holmes for another position, another spot, or even the same position for a player that that might fit them a little bit more. If, if there's another team in the NFL – that is going through the same situation with Darnay Holmes where it's like, oh, you're a zone defense, but you have this man coverage corner. Well, we have a man coverage defense and we have a zone corner. Let's just swap them. That would be great if there's another if there's another team uh, that has a very similar Darnay Holmes situation on their hands. Yeah. We always do this for the contract that we just did. Is this Darnay Holmes last year as a New York Giant? Oh, you were going to ask me that. I was going to ask you that. I thought you were going to wrap it up and I'm going to be like, Darnay Holmes, contract year, is this it? This is, I believe this is it for Darnay Holmes. Yeah, I, it just makes sense. He, like we talked about, he's not the scheme fit, man. He's not thriving. This is this is probably it, and I'm sure he's not super thrilled with how everything's went down either. But I like Darnay as a person. I, you know what? Let's not do that. All right, that's a player profile and projection. We'll see you guys on the next one. Until then, let's go big blue. <laughs>